it's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we connect the dots between our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual selves. You know, if 2020 taught us anything, it taught us the importance of being physically healthy and keeping our immune system strong and our inflammation level low. So um, I usually ask people to go to my website, which is SynergyConnectionRadio.com and check out the Boomers Forever Young banner there. And you can go in and look at the different products that they have because they have a lot of world-class health products that will keep your immune system functioning very well and your inflammation level low. But I uh, like to tell people, I think in particular, about something called the Gladiator Barley. It is a sprout. It is not a grain. And it's harvested uh, in Canada when it is just a baby sprout. But it will reduce inflammation. It rebuilds uh, your muscle. So after the age of 50, we lose 1% of our muscle mass every single year. So if you're approaching 60, you've already lost about 10%. If you're going into your 70s, you're losing more. And that is how we keep our balance. It's how we stay strong and vital and so we can enjoy life. So check out the Gladiator Barley. They have videos, they have blogs, they have testimonials, and you'll find out how that works for you. Um, The other thing that uh, I want to say is that it does um, help with endurance. And so a lot of um, very active families where you're going in multiple directions, maybe you're working from home, you have homeschooling to do, but it will help you with your stamina and your endurance as you go through that and maybe give you a higher quality of life as you move into the evening hours as well. So today I have as a returning guest, uh, Arthur Wernick, and he is a clinical pharmacist with his doctorate in clinical pharmacy. Um, He assists individuals as well as families with understanding their medications because in many cases they're taking quite a few meds they may be taking 10 or more in some instances so he looks for ways to streamline them through medication management and if you have any questions for arthur you'll be able to email him at arthurwernick at gmail.com so welcome back to the show thank you lucy it's a pleasure to be here yeah it's a pleasure always having you Uh, wealth of information And it also is going to be um, kind of fun today. I suppose maybe I shouldn't say fun, but informative. Um, yes. Fun because it's learning new information about what's called the long hauler syndrome. And so you're going to kind of inform us as to what does this mean and what do you do about it? That's right. Now, this is a situation that is evolving almost daily. and to use a cliche, what what is true today may not be true tomorrow. And this is all because of a constantly changing virus and the fact that much of our knowledge is new. The virus in its aftermath is new territory for people experiencing it and new territory for scientists learning about it. We're about a year into COVID now. It's been about a year. That's crazy when you think about it. Oh, goodness, yeah. Six months ago, when COVID was only about Mm -hmm. six months old, it became clear that some patients with the initial infection were continuing to have an array of symptoms. 
And again, this was six months after they're initially diagnosed with COVID. Now, were these people that were hospitalized or maybe they were just diagnosed and they took care of it at home? What we're going to find out through this next hour is that this cuts across the spectrum. Okay. It doesn't really matter. It would make sense that people with pre-existing conditions, people that were sicker with COVID, would have a greater likelihood of having this long haul syndrome. Mm -hmm. But we're finding out that it's spread pretty much across. It really doesn't matter how serious the infection was. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes it a little scarier. Well, uh, what we're seeing, okay, we'll, we'll start from the beginning. A patient has the infection. Three months after the infection, still 50 to 80% of people have some bothersome symptoms. Six months after the infection, it's now become clear that at least 10% and up to 30% of all patients diagnosed are significantly being affected. Although at that point, they generally have no detectable virus. Now this patient population is six months from the initial infection. I refer to as long haulers. There was, there was no agreed upon like clinical term in addition to using the term long haulers, it's also been called long COVID, post-COVID syndrome. And are there very many doctors that know what to do? Like if you have just a family physician that you've normally seen, and now you have these symptoms, maybe your family physician doesn't have a clue as to how to treat you. Uh, you're essentially correct. Back in December of 2020, just a few months ago, the National Institute of Health, the NIH, held a two-day conference dedicated to long COVID. And they had three conclusions. And this specifically addresses what you just said. First of all, they have to, the first conclusion was that there needs to be a recognition of this as a syndrome and it has to have a name. Mm -hmm. So nobody even has a name for it, had a name for it. Uh, they need to have, second thing, the second conclusion was they have to have a system of diagnosing it. What, what are the parameters that say, okay, this, this is a typical case of long-haul syndrome. And the third decision that they made, which sounds logical, they need to develop therapies for some treatments. Right, right. Now, this is what, the beginning of March. Uh, just about a week ago, Dr. Fauci and the NIH did assign a clinical term to long COVID. It's called PASC. Those, that's the acronym for it. Which stands for? Uh, we'll go through this slowly. Cause it, it, it just, you know, if they want people to understand what this means, they, they've chosen the wrong name for it, okay? okay. <laughs> I'm going to do this, and I, I, I understand your audience is a very intelligent group, but we're going to break this one down, as okay. they say. Okay. PASC stands for Post-Acute Sequelae of SARS-CoV infection. Wow. Okay, so we'll, we'll break it down. Okay. Post-acute, after the acute phase, okay? Right, this right. is not the virus. This is a, di we're in a different place, okay? Same car, different parking space, so okay. to speak. Okay. Post-acute, this is after the virus. Uh -huh. Sequelae, okay, what happens afterward? Again, this is after the initial event. Uh -huh. This is a separate area, separate designation. Can I interrupt for one second? Please do. All right, so <laughs> if this is after the event at that point, yes. did they establish how much after the event? We're in the range of six months. Six months. Six okay. months after okay. the initial infection, okay. so yes. not three weeks after, not nope. four months after. No. Six months or longer. Yeah, pretty much six months. They may contract that. They may bring this down to three months just based on what 
population has what symptoms. Mm-hmm. Right now, it looks like a defining point is at six months, but there's people pushing back and saying, well, a month later, two months later, I'm feeling all those things. Okay. And are they dividing it by ages? Because we have some that are under 20, and then, you know, are they doing it in increments of 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50? How are they breaking they, that They're using down? the typical uh, demographics, like, you know, 18 to 34, 18 to 39, okay. then 40 to 55, 40 to 60, 65 and up, over 75, that kind of thing. But we're going to see that a lot of the data cuts across all those lines. Mm. I mean, I'll, the, the, we'll talk about who's at high risk or who does it most affect, and we're going to find out that everybody's in the same boat. Mm, okay. Yeah. So that's what it's called, PASC. I I will continue to uh, use the term long COVID. I think that it's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the time being, anyway. Right. I mean, it, it's too bad. I mean, you can't do uh, an acronym off of those initials. They, they, yeah, honestly, I'm not deciding, but they could have come up with something a little better than that. <laughs> I think so. I mean, if if you want it to be accessible in terms of people recognizing what you're talking about, right. I, I have a feeling uh, long haulers is, this, this is going to increase the lifespan of the term long haulers. It's yeah, not going to yeah. be replaced that I quickly. I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. I think that when they put this on somebody's chart, it'll be easier to write long hauler. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. But that that's pretty much the parameter. That's the name. They've got the the, di- the system of diagnosing it, I think, is going to uh, be self-defining. We'll go through a list of all the symptoms that patients can have, and uh, we'll be able to see that there's a very specific set of circumstances. It, it, it seems like it's defining itself now as to what constitutes a long-haul person. There are numerous numbers of symptoms that mm-hmm. they suffer. You know, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm a clinical pharmacist, and I'm clearly into the science of all this, and I have a lot to share about that. But equally important is the human side of this. Yeah. So I'm a member of several online long-hauler groups. There are thousands of people in these groups. The array of symptoms and disability is stunning. Like, what are some of the most basic ones across the board? I've got about 15 of them that oh. really are what, you know, these are things that people are going through. Uh, some of the patients have maybe one or two of these symptoms. Some have several. But he, here we go. Number one is fatigue. No matter what you read, number one is the f- primary symptom is fatigue. And how do they categorize fatigue at what level? A degree of inability to function at a daily so they just are dragging themselves yeah, from yeah. A to B. And these are self-reported, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they People say, I feel more fatigued than I did before I had the virus, and mm-hmm. it's chronic. Mm-hmm. Confusion, we've heard about confusion, decreased concentration, the brain fog, forgetfulness, dizziness. People have muscle aches, joint pain, they're short of breath, diminished or absent sense of taste and smell. They have nausea, diarrhea, insomnia. There's heart problems. People have increased heart rate. They have chest pain. Patients experience really weird temperature spikes where they feel quite normal one moment, then the temperature literally spikes and then comes down again, almost inexplicably. Congestion and cough are not uncommon. Some people have reported swelling of their legs, sores in their mouth. And uh, I read a report of someone that said they're having unbelievably vivid dreams. (laughs) <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, if 
only 10% of the people are suffering from this, then you know, we've had 25 million cases already. This could be two and a half million people that at this time are suffering from this. Uh, Boy, that makes for a whole new um, um, medical you know, group of, of treaters. I mean, I, I don't um, know. Some of it might be physical therapy. Some of it might be um, just, you know, I don't think this is going to be your primary care physician. This could become a new chronic illness. Mm-hmm. This is what they're looking at. Yeah. Unfortunately, some data just came out very, very recently out of the uh, Journal of the Medi- American Medical Association. The data that they have shows that easily 30% of people who had the infection can be defined as long haulers. They're up to 30%. And that it's confirmed. A lot of people. Yeah. It, this is, again, the information is all new. Everything can change. When they first came out with the idea that there was possibly uh, 10%, sounded like a lot of people, and it is. 10, you know, one out of 10, 10 out of 100, That's 100,000 out of a million, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. They, the numbers are starting to look like 30%. And they're talking about people, they, they followed these people for an average of 180 days. The range was three to nine months. And 32% of the people had at least one symptom. Fatigue and loss of taste and smell were the most predominant. And 30% reported, and again, this is self-reporting, but they reported a diminished quality of life, that life wasn't the same as before. They couldn't do everything they used to do. So are they putting anxiety and depression into this as well someplace? Um, it, it, it works both ways. It can aggravate existing anxiety and depression. And mm-hmm. for those that were called themselves very healthy, it can induce those kind of feelings. Mm-hmm. So, because yeah. Because if you never, if you thought you were going to have this chronically for the rest uh-huh. of your life, you'd have to be depressed. Yeah. Well, the, the thing I've read a lot of people's experiences, I've talked to people. The predominant thing is when's this going to end? Right. I don't. Nobody right. wants to accept this. It, when right. will it end? Right. And one of the when is my life going to get back yeah, to normal? Yeah. One of the characteristics of some of the symptoms are that they do disappear and then they come back. So how long do they disappear for? Like somebody might think, okay, I'm finally over it, and they, it comes back a month later. It, it, or do they know? A day later. A, a week day later. later. Yeah. So. And people get symptoms that only last a day. One person reported to me that. She woke up one day, her hand was swollen, really swollen, for one day, and then it went away. How much of that, you and I talked a little bit before we started mm-hmm. the show, about the fact that this affects circulation mm-hmm. um, on that uh, microcapillary probably level too, where oxygen mm-hmm. is not getting out. To So is some of this or all of it maybe caused by that, that the circulation is disrupted because of the fact that our lungs are not able to function adequately to exchange oxygen, and oxygen is what fuels our brain. It's what fuels our muscles. It's you know, it's all of it. I, I again, I'm going to fall back on the idea that the information is constantly evolving. Mm-hmm. There is a school of thought that says this is not a respiratory disease. Mm-hmm. That this is more disease of blood and well, of the that nervous would be system. Circulation and yeah. oxygen. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, it, it's not completely understood at this point. It's part of the re- part of the proof is uh, part of the idea is enforced by the mm-hmm. fact that initially the rush toward putting everybody that was critically ill on a ventilator 
was in many cases doing more harm than good. Right. They found that out, but nobody knew that ahead of time. It made sense to do it, actually. Right, because in they the thought moment, they couldn't breathe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the moment, they realized it. But uh, the, the, the problem wasn't the patient's ability to breathe inward. The muscles, the lungs were able to do that. They just couldn't exchange the air for oxygen. Right. and that's that's definitely a, a molecular thing, I would think. It, well, it, it gets down there on those tiny blood vessels mm -hmm. that are designed to take the oxygen into the blood. The right. oxygen that we breathe is picked up by blood vessels at the very ends in our lungs. So usually a person's on a ventilator because they haven't got the strength to breathe. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with their chest okay, and their so body. Okay, so you and I know about a blood-brain barrier. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. so... You know, if if you just kind of hypothetically follow the the dancing ball, so to speak, yeah, and you say, okay, then uh, on that molecular level, on the you know tiniest of capillaries that are exchanging oxygen in the cells, mm -hmm. it would make sense to me to say that fatigue, brain fog, dizziness, all of those things are going to be because maybe there was a lack of the amount of oxygen you needed, and there's been cellular death. Now, we do create new cells all the mm -hmm. time, but if they actually have a chronic condition, then maybe, you know, that hasn't been rebuilt. You know, the condition, maybe they would need more physical therapy, aerobic therapy, hyperbaric kind of therapies, who knows what kind, in order to restabilize the um, oxygen exchange. That's very, very possible. There are a few ideas as to what might be causing this. And one is that there may be a continued inflammatory response in the brain. So it may not be a matter of the virus being there. Mm -hmm, it may be a matter being. of the chemicals that right. respond to mm -hmm. injury. All right, I have another question yeah. to ask. And these are all just hypotheticals, sure. of course. But stem cell therapy. Uh-huh. Um, I am aware, as you probably are, that you can have stem cells and, and be put in a reclining position, have it dripped through the nasal passages, and the stem cells actually can get through the blood-brain barrier. Uh, there's a lot of doctors that are doing this even out at um, you know, the universities around here, mm -hmm. Moffitt Cancer Center being one of them. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so stem cells go where they're most needed. That's my understanding. And so if you wear a stem cell patch or you take um, maybe a nutritional that has stem cells in it that mm -hmm. enhances, creates more stem cells, yeah. or if you have, you know, amniotic stem cells uh, mm -hmm. injected. But, I mean, that would be the most stem cells because those are millions versus thousands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But uh, nevertheless, I would think that if you've got neurological kind of impairment going on, that that might be an amazing answer if they could afford it or if it's covered by insurance to have a stem cell infusion if you will through mm -hmm. the nasal passages that can go past the brain um, get, yeah. blood barrier and get into the brain cells because I've actually seen pictures of people who had um, maybe the beginnings of Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. uh, dementia, you know, kind of conditions. And they did before and after. And it was fascinating because the before, you can absolutely see where there is non-activity. And then they did a progression of 
several different um, treatments. Usually it's two, but you know, after the first treatment and then maybe again after the second treatment. And you can see the activity level in the brain definitely is enhanced. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just kind of theoretically yeah. so, so I, I, I am not aware of what, uh, what role stem cells would play, what they would actually do mm-hmm. in the brain. One of the ideas is that the, um, in, in the, the brain, the fluid, the cerebral spinal fluid, the fluid that feeds the brain in addition mm-hmm. to the blood, that's a sterile fluid, okay? Has, just like our blood, it's sterile. So any kind of bacteria or virus in there wreaks havoc. It's not clear yet that it's even virus that's in the brain. It could be what they call the cytokines that respond to a virus that are overreacting. And that's so, the inflammation process. Yes, then that creates the process of mm-hmm. inflammation. I really am not aware of where what the stem cells would do when they get there. What I are would, they replacing? What are they fixing? I, I'm not uh, sure of that at all. I think what they probably would... It would be the most likely thing because it's what they do every place else is they create more opportunities for newer, less damaged, you know, stem cells. So if Mm -hmm. you're replacing brain cells that have been somehow damaged due to the Mm -hmm. virus, even if it's a cytokine process, then there would be younger ones that would be more resilient. I don't know. But to be honest with you, it sounds... Sounds, Sounds like right. it would make some yeah, sense. Yeah, but I, I, I don't really know because I don't, I don't know whether a virus or the response by cytokines, what their action on our stem cells would be. It may be very much the same as the tissues that are already in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe the stem cells are more resilient. Maybe they would be resistant to the responses that are caused by either a virus. And overall, or, it could reduce inflammation. If they can eliminate the cause of the inflammation mm-hmm. and this is something they're just beginning to try to understand well it's got to be fascinating research though you know it's to be, such you know, new like, territory what if, what if? yeah well, one of the big mysteries that they didn't know was a mystery when this became when they understood that we had a problem with this virus a lot of the approach was viruses are understood we're going to take what we know and we're going to figure this out this turned into a different creature hmm. it's not what other than the similarity of it being like other viruses structurally, its behavior is completely different. How is it so different? The long-term effects of one, one, one of example, right. yes. Okay. Uh, the number of people that it's, obviously we haven't had a vaccine up until now, the number of people it's killing makes it mm-hmm. completely different. Mm-hmm. This is not obviously a cold virus. And it seems to be attacking certain groups more than others. Obviously, age has a factor, but we know right now that blacks, Hispanics, Native mm-hmm. Americans, you mm-hmm. know, there's certain groups of yep. ethnic groups that are not doing very well with this at all. Yeah, what's well understood is if people are in a poor state of health, they are more susceptible. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not necessarily sure if that is strictly immunity-based, lifestyle-based, but people that are sicker or have mm-hmm. less nutritional support, they seem to be more susceptible to... And I'm sure heredity factors play a role in all of this. Always thing. does when it comes to a, an immune response. It always mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that's clear is patients with hypertension or that are obesely overweight are very much at high risk. Right. But they find that 
20 to 27% of the uh, patients that have long haul are between 18 and 39. That is a large yeah. number when you think about it, yeah. too. I'll uh, lift a quote from the journal Neurology. This is very simple. This came out of the journal Neurology as they started studying this. Most of these patients were in excellent health prior to getting infected. Really? Yep, most of them. So what do you think, I mean, again, hypothetically, what yeah. do you think would be the reason that if most of them were in excellent health, they came down with this? I mean, how do you define excellent health? And again, I, I would be thinking myself that there were underlying conditions that simply, it's almost like the athlete that is a great football player, you know, and, and he's passed his physicals mm -hmm. and everything else, but they didn't realize he had this one little heart condition. Mm -hmm. And he dies out on the field. And we see this mm -hmm. all the time. So, I mean, where the excellent health is the fact that they didn't have any records of having conditions prior to getting COVID, and now they get COVID, and if they did, if they died, and they ask for an autopsy, you would suddenly find that, oh, well, we have All right, this well, condition or this condition. We have 25 million cases right now. If 20% mm -hmm. of the people have those hidden illnesses, are there 5 million people out there that Maybe. have these hidden? That may be the case. Yeah. That and, may be and the I, case. Think I don't know. We yeah. might see more of that. I, again, I kind of come from a health position right, as well right. as a mental, uh -huh. emotional position. Sure. But I think, you know, unfortunately, in the past, um, I'm going to say 30 years in particular, yeah. we have become incredibly sedentary individuals. Yes. You know, we have computers, we have televisions, we have different devices that have our attention. And all you have to do is go out to a restaurant anymore, and they're not talking to each other. You know, they're texting on their phone. And so dowagers, you know, the dowager home, uh -huh. we're seeing that in younger and younger people developing. If you talk to physical therapists or chiropractors, mm -hmm. that is happening because they have their head bent mm -hmm. and they're always looking down at their phone. Mm -hmm. So in the last 30 years, if the age range that I understood you said a minute ago was 18 uh, to... About 18 to 39. 39, yeah. okay. So that falls in this group of people. Mm -hmm. And so less, you know, they've had less exercise, they've had less hard work, they've, mm -hmm. you know, walked less, maybe ridden their bikes less as kids, you know, but different things that then contributed to, yes, they might be healthy, but are they really healthy? Right. Because they just didn't have doctor's well, visits. That's, in a way, that, that potentially explains it, but um, here we are. Uh-huh. And now what? So what, we're... so to speak, you know? <laughs> yeah. we, we, this is where we are with this, though. But Even if what? we have the best reasons in the world, this is where we are. We need to do something about it. But I think the something to do is the wake-up call. You know, put your yeah, devices um, down, mm -hmm. go out and walk, go out and experience nature, yep. look at the food on the table. Maybe we're not ordering from Papa John's right, so often. Right, 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 right. You know, maybe we're looking at uh, more of a balanced, you know, homegrown food or go to the farmer's markets or something like that. To me, the wake-up call has been on every level. It's been on the health industry level. It's been mm -hmm. on emotional support. It's been on what are we doing with our elderly people. It's been across the board. And if we can look at that and learn from COVID-19, then we're doing what probably needs to be done. Because I think nature comes back in and kind of hits us upside the head and says, do I have your attention yet? Sure. Yep. Uh -huh. 
my major concern is how we deal with this in the present. What what um, what are the implications for the next six months, year, two years? What do you think they are? Uh, it's funny, not funny. <laughs> when uh, when well, about a year ago now, when we had the initial lockdown, and you know it was evident that there was gonna this is gonna last a, a month. We're, uh, we're gonna, yeah. <laughs> and people said to me, I mean. I'm into pharmacy. They think I know something. This was as new to me as anybody else. They said, what do you think's going to happen? I said, we might be in it for two months. And people thought I was nuts. At two months? Yeah. <laughs> so th- th- there's, there's really no telling. I think particularly with the, um, with the advent of the vaccine, we're under close observation for the next two years as far as what the future holds for getting to some, everybody, now we find everyone's got a different version of normal. Whatever that means, I have no idea. Now, I want you to kind of, we talked about this before the show started, but I want you to explain the difference because this is really not a vaccine. We're calling it a vaccine. Right. It is more yeah. of a shot. Mm-hmm. And what is the difference, Yeah, as a pharmacist, to explain the difference between a vaccine and a shot is this, and then understanding for everybody who's listening to this show, that we are a major experiment right now. This is what we are. We've all signed up for this. Major I, I experiment. think people are beginning to understand that. I mean, people do know that this has not been studied for three to five to ten years mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. lab with you know clinical trials that variously may involve anywhere from twenty to a hundred thousand people. I think people understand that this is probably the largest single clinical trial in the history of the world. In the world. history of the world, yeah. yes. I mean, right. that, that, that's just the case. That's okay. just the fact. Right. And long-term effects of the vaccine, it takes any, I mean, minimum of six months to two years to see if there are any long-term effects. Right, and so we will wait and see. Right, and unfortunately, history shows us that long-term effects very often have nothing to do with short-term illness or short-term effects. It's mm-hmm. Again, it's a separate Right. situation right. that um, has, has occurred in the past. what is the difference really between a shot and a vaccine? Well, the vaccine that we're classically used to, like the flu vaccine, they give you a piece of the flu and they inject mm-hmm. it and it's just enough to create an immune response immune in your response. body and hopefully protect you from getting the flu. Right. This is using a minor remnant of the virus. It's almost like the memory bank of the virus. It's not the virus itself. It's a remnant of it. It's one small portion of it that goes into the body. But isn't then, it artificial? Is it artificial? Um, it is. It comes from the original virus. It does come from the virus, but it's genetically engineered. Okay, so I think that's important to understand yeah. is that it is a genetic engineer. Yeah, it's, it's not a virus, you know, it's not a it's single cell. It's not a petri cell, dish yeah. that yeah. they pulled it out. This is, this is a very small part of the virus, mm-hmm. but it does originate from the virus itself. And then it's genetically engineered yeah. from there. Yeah, it's, so it's just an active remnant of it. Okay. So we should refer to it as a COVID shot, theoretically, rather than a COVID vaccine. Uh, I, li- I, I like the English version of it, what they call it <laughs> in, in, in England. They call it the jab. I like the that, jab. the jab. <laughs> <laughs> Roll up your sleeve, and I'm going to give you the job. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> so here we are, and we have um, a look into the crystal ball over the next year. And what do we need to be doing now? I, I think I the the goal here is you know the topic today, as far as the long hollows go, that 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 needs to be. We need to create some definition there. We need mm-hmm. to. 
you know, treat these people as if they have a really significant situation to deal with for Who whatever would they reason. they to be diagnosed? This is interesting because institutes that are starting to uh, do research on this, whether they be research institutes or hospital, medical schools, things like that, that are starting to look at it. They start out by setting up with pulmonology people, but they have to bring in every discipline. Mm-hmm. They're bringing in cardiologists because of the heart problems. They're bringing in neurologists. They're bringing in infectious disease. They, they all have a role in this. Everybody's being pulled into this because it has so many legs, so to speak. It does. Yeah, it, it definitely does. And that, that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. It's really important. Something that matters to long haulers, again, the fatigue is one of the number one symptoms that people have. So when somebody has fatigue that you work with right now, mm-hmm. I mean, you're trying to get them on fewer medications mm-hmm. or uh, augmenting you know, right. it with other things. So what would you recommend that might help with the fatigue? There is no therapies for this. Everything mm-hmm. is symptomatic. There's a lot of creative medications that they're trying to use, mm-hmm. but they're still medications. It's really hard to create a system of lifestyle, you know, a lifestyle approach or a nutritional approach. Can I make a, a suggestion? Sure. Just because, again, I'm thinking way outside the box at this moment, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking like in emotional uh, therapeutic techniques. Somebody who is depressed is fatigued. Yeah. That is one of the common symptoms there. And one of the ways for helping that is actually some exercise, like walking, being out in fresh air. Um, so, you know, getting out into the open rather than staying in and saying, oh, I'm so tired, I can't move mm-hmm. off the couch, might be, even if it's five minutes and increasing it to 10 minutes the next day, just going into the backyard, going out on a lanai, going out someplace where you're in fresh air and moving a little bit. Music therapy is another thing. You know, they may not be able to pick up art Mm -hmm. um, at the moment because they are Mm -hmm. tired and it's just too fatiguing. But listening to music that Mm -hmm. might change the brain vibrational frequencies Mm -hmm. might make a difference too. Mm -hmm. So I would think that they might be thinking along those lines as well. You know, how do we get us to breathe more? Mm -hmm. How do we get our heads in a different space? Mm-hmm. Because if a good portion of the problem is depression, then those remedies, those therapies will make a difference and each day will get better. People have very unusual descriptions of their symptoms. There's a couple pieces here. Uh, the fatigue. I, I have several quotes. I wanted to keep this human. I have a list of things. Yeah, I read a list of symptoms. Mm-hmm. I also have a list of people's reports mm-hmm. as to how they feel. Mm-hmm. And the things that they say are unbelievable. But when we talk about fatigue, so I'm, I'm the pharmacist. I'm trying to be practical. So it says I have fatigue. I'm going, I'm going to be practical and say, try to get some exercise, but obviously within the limits that you can take. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The woman looks at me and says, I can't get out of bed. I can't lift a glass of water. What do you do with that? Are you asking me? No, I'm, I'm telling you. That <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. So where, where do you, you, you can be logical. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can try to make sense of it, but they can't get out of the, can't get out of the, off the block, off so the to speak. Block, so yeah, yeah. And, and I realize, I mean, of the of 35 years that I've got in my field, I've had people that are that depressed 
um, you know, that the physiology is keeping them from functioning at all. Uh I had one gal years ago when I first started my practice, and um, she was so depressed that she would get up, get her kids out the door for school, Mm -hmm. go back to bed, and not get up until they came home. And that was her day, you know, as I started working with her. So sometimes that person is so locked into their belief of how they're feeling that, you know, they have to sort of begin to alter that belief a little bit, you know, by doing something like emotional freedom technique, you know, the tapping technique, Mm -hmm. where you could be saying, even though I thought I could not get out of this bed, Mm -hmm. I now realize that I can swing my feet over the edge. Mm -hmm. I'm making progress. And so the brain has to begin to accept that there is a slightly, you know, maybe a small improvement, but there is a slight improvement that they can look forward to every day, as opposed to focus on, I can't even pick up a glass of water. Mm -hmm. That may be true. What we're finding is that some of these symptoms are along pathways that seem unrecognizable. Mm. People talk about pain. They say, uh, okay, my... My head hurts. My ear is on fire. Oh. Okay, my ear is on fire. But it's not my ear. It's coming from inside. Wow. Okay. Uh, another patient who had a chronic cough due to the respiratory aspects uh-huh. of this, her back started to hurt her. Doctor gave muscle relaxants because the pain. She says, that's not the problem. My muscles are not the problem. She said, it's inside. Could she define where inside? No, this is the problem. People, I had one person say, I feel like my skin is being ripped off. Wow, that'd be horrible. Yeah, and then there's the thing called COVID toe. There's a person that reported that my toe feels broken, but I can move it. But the pain was in the toe. Yeah, but they'd say it's not really there. And I've heard this more than once. The pain's Mm. inside. You know, that's... um, There might be some interesting research for somebody to go do in this area because you're familiar with phantom limbs when somebody has had an Mm -hmm. amputation. Mm -hmm. And they talk about the pain still being there. And I'm, I'm, again, my little research mind goes down this road where I would go, geez, if it's not there, if it's not a muscle, it's not a toe, it's not, you know, my ear, it's inside, then I'm going back to the brain. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, these are all neurological symptoms that are generated from some part of the brain that probably was Uh impacted by this virus and probably because of a lack of oxygen to that particular area. And they did a study many, many years ago that Mm -hmm. you may or may not know about, but the man who came up with the shunt for children that had hydrocephalus, Yeah. It yep. was his son actually had hydrocephalus, and he wanted to try and save his son's life, which unfortunately he couldn't do. But what happened was he created the shunt, and 20 years later, they came up with CAT scans. And so the research wanted to see what was the difference, because these were children who you know were between birth and, let's say, a year of age. Uh-huh. They hadn't died, but they did have uh, diagnosed hydrocephalus. Mm-hmm. So they sent out questionnaires and they were able to gather a lot of these children as adults mm-hmm. back and put them through a CAT scan, which now they could look at color and see where was the brain activity. And you know what they found? And this just blew me away when I found out, is that the inside of the brain was technically dead. 
That mm. whole left-right hemisphere in the center mm. was non-functioning. Uh. But the, what the, happened is because they were able to get fluid off of the brain, mm-hmm. the centers had moved to the periphery. Uh-huh. And so they had, you know, you have red and yellow and green yeah. and blue. So the high activity levels uh-huh. were shown in red and then others, you know, in lesser colors. But a lot of those that were in red had become doctors, had become scientists, mm. had become musicians, had become artists. And so they had very high levels of activity. But, you know, you, you always hear, we only use, what is it, 3%, 4% of yeah, our something brains? Something like that, yes. And so they were using every single bit wow. of oh, their brain. Yeah. Wow. But isn't that crazy to find out? And so that was all from the research that they did after mm-hmm. the fact on hydrocephalus children becoming mm-hmm. adults. So maybe some of this, you know, COVID syndrome could be a result of a part of the brain that actually, it's like the phantom limb. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is not functioning anymore, and still it's sending out a signal. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, 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 there's a great deal of potential there. What they're looking at is a lot of neurological origins to uh-huh. this. Uh, if we stay with fatigue, we can actually highlight some of what you're saying. I mean, no matter how much reading I do, it's evident that fatigue is the number one symptom of long uh-huh. COVID. And there, there is a name for that, by the way. They do. <laughs> it's called post-viral fatigue syndrome. PVFS, because this was seen soon after the 1918 pandemic. It was seen after the 2003 SARS uh, infection and 2009 with the influenza A. What's notable about fatigue, and this is going to get complicated, but this really digs into the nervous system part of this. What's notable about the fatigue, in some cases, it clearly resembles chronic fatigue syndrome. Hmm. CFS, M-E-C-F-S. And there's no cure for that. Right. So I'm going to leave that there for a second and extend this. In data collection from the World Health Organization, most of the persistent effects of the virus were at their worst at the start of the infection and tapered down as time progressed, even if the symptoms were merely bothersome. So that's logical, okay? You, You feel better as time goes on. But what's unusual, paradoxically, is that one of the most common long-term effects, that confusion and brain fog, appears to get worse as time goes on. Hmm. So that'd scare you to death because you've been thinking Alzheimer's and... So, yeah. So now, remember I just said a moment ago, we get this fatigue sounding Mm -hmm. possibly Mm -hmm. like chronic fatigue syndrome. Not, Not surprisingly, that what they're looking for, well, let's put it this way. Let's see. Doctors and scientists are trying to figure out new information from what they already know. They're trying to learn more based on what they know. The fatigue and the brain fog may have a common cause. And it kind of goes like this. Part of our nervous system is called the autonomic nervous system. Uh It controls involuntary functions like heart rate, blood pressure, breathing, digestion. Malfunction of the autonomic nervous system is called dysautonomia, D-Y-S, dysautonomia. And this is a recognized syndrome. An additional and seemingly separate form of dysautonomia is called POTS, P-O-T-S. That stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, the hallmarks of which are also fatigue and confusion. Hmm. The suspicion is that POTS 
chronic fatigue syndrome, and long COVID may all be one and the same. Oh, isn't that fascinating? So it might have been around for a long time. And it's based on the neurology that they know about the other wow. syndromes. This so... is a place that is leading them. There are no specific conclusions that say, but it, it fits like a glove mm -hmm. for the moment. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, again, there's no real treatment for any of those things. No. So no. if you get it, you get it, you have it, and mm -hmm. you've got to learn how to live with it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, a lot of the research, it will come out, it'll be maybe under the surface because people want, want to know what's going on, they want treatments, they want cures. But under the surface, learning the nature of this virus is going to reveal probably why we're having such problems. This is a very smart virus. That's what they're finding out. They find this out through the um, mutations. Yeah, and it mutates right. every now, And everybody knows hours. all viruses mutate. Uh, this seems like a smarter than average virus. Hmm. It's really trying to avoid being affected by the vaccine, by the therapies that they're giving. Do you think that the newest one that Johnson and Johnson just released do you think it might be better because of the fact that it actually, um, I guess, handles the variants that are out there better and it's a one shot and you're out? It's one shot, it handles the variants and it is equally good as the other two shots due to the fact that if you get the Johnson & Johnson or the Pfizer or the Moderna, the chances are number one, you won't get sick. Number two, if you do, you won't be seriously ill. You won't wind up in the hospital and you won't die. That's what the end point is what people care about. The, you know, the concern that it's only 75 or 80 percent effective. What matters is that if you get that shot, you're probably not going to wind up in the hospital and you're not going to die. And you're not going to die. Yeah. So bottom line is better. Yeah. It doesn't prevent you from long haulers necessarily. Well, yeah, we have but, to be but, realistic here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even the vaccine that's 95, and I don't, you again, I don't want to insult your audience, but this is a fact. If a vaccine that's 95% effective means five out of 100 people aren't going to be affected by it. Right. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So, yeah, this, people are still going to be susceptible to getting sick. Most mm -hmm. won't. Mm -hmm. But some apparently may. And those that do could be part of that 30% now that could develop long haulers. But then, yeah. I mean, everything's a risk in life. Everything is. Yeah. So. They have reports of um, not many. And, again, the... The data is maturing. Uh, they have reports of people having long haulers that never tested positive for the virus in the first place. It's interesting. And then I kind of am I'm thinking too, you know, like as we get up and running again, just with businesses, with eating, with going, you know, on vacations, with doing all of those things, even if you have the vaccine, it yeah. doesn't mean that you're not a carrier. Is what I'm understanding. So you could get the vaccine, come down with it, not have it diagnosed necessarily, and still be a spreader. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, the vaccine works in your system. It does not work in your nasal passages. Mm -hmm. There, Again, there's research going on. It may not come to the surface uh, anytime soon, but they're trying to figure out, can they create a vaccine or create a therapy that will create a concentration of drug in the, in the nasal inside passages, the nose and yeah. inside the mouth so that when you do breathe it in, it'll kill it. 
But right now, you can get the vaccine, you can be completely protected, but you can still breathe in the virus. Nothing's stopping you from breathing in the virus. Yeah. Nothing's stopping you from holding on to it. And nothing's stopping you from transmitting it. Hmm. So you just do the best you can with what you've got, I guess. Yes. And, and try to use practical things like you know social distancing, yeah. not being in crowds unless you have a mask on. Um, and then watching your diet, you mm-hmm. know, trying to do the best you can there to keep your uh, vitamin levels up for immune function and your inflammation down for, you know, obvious reasons. And I guess do some praying that, you know, you're one of the few that maybe don't get exposed or if you do, that you have a strong enough immune system to function. Mm-hmm. I want to give you some examples of what happens to real people. Because mm-hmm. this is, you know, again, I like the science. I like figuring things out, but this is a human event. Okay. We have a 67-year-old male who was uh, infected got in back in August. In his original symptoms, he had fatigue, brain fog, didn't have any taste or smell. Six months later, he can't get out of bed. He's forgetful. His decreased concentration, he said, was profound. There's a woman that got infected a year ago, a little more than a year ago, in January. Her whole life, she had one cavity. All her teeth are coming loose, and she's already lost one. Oh, my gosh. Wow. The son was diagnosed a year ago in March. They, they, they can't stop drooling. They have dry skin. The skin is burning. There's a patient that complains of chest pain, stomach pain, pain with urination. Here are the symptoms of one person. One person. They diagnosed uh, seven months ago. Headache, brain fog, fatigue, short of breath, cough, dry eye, acid reflux, no smell, no taste. The hearing is going down, thinning nails, oily hair, oily skin. Lots of people talk about losing hair, hair, hair coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoot, there is um, the person I told you about that was, uh, I told, said, try to get a little exercise within mm-hmm. your limitations. Mm-hmm. She says, some days it feels like, again, my toe is broken, but I can move it around. This was the person whose right hand was suddenly swollen for one day. The skin is sensitive to touch. It hurts to hug. Wow. So the quality of life for these individuals becomes seriously impacted. Yeah. Yeah. I, I asked this person, what would you want me to say to people that are listening that might be going through this? And it, it, it was a little bit heartrending. She said, an understanding and caring doctor is important, but most important of all, don't give up when you think you're dying. Hmm. And this is a person in their 40s. Wow. That you know, never was slowed down by anything. There's people that say, I've never, never go to a doctor. Mm-hmm. People that never had anything wrong with them. Do they have any idea sometimes where they got exposed? No, none of us really seem to know that. It's really hard to nail that down. And it's interesting because you talk, we all talk to people. The tendency is to say, I'm pretty sure I got it there or I got it from so-and-so. You don't really know. You can harbor it in your system. It takes five or six days, some, depending on what people say, five to seven days from when you contract it to when you start getting sick. Huh. So if you can remember who you were with or what you were doing five or seven days right. ago, that kind of thing. Well, I know that, um, you know, crowds, you know, certainly have spikes 
when you have a bunch of people that are close together and there hasn't mm-hmm. been any kind of, um, you know, we, we saw that even with the Super Bowl here in Tampa. And fortunately, most of the celebration was outside. Yes. And so I think that, you know, helped. Yeah. But uh, there were a whole lot of people that really did not use masks and they were very close to one another. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. Because one thing that is common to viruses is that mm-hmm. they are easily transmittable. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, being in proximity, breathing. So as you're looking at the long hauler syndrome, uh-huh. it really sounds to me as though this is something that is not going to go away. That uh, unfortunately, if people have contracted COVID, it could be a couple of weeks to it could be six months or more, and the symptoms are still going to be present. And at this moment in time, they honestly and truly don't have a good handle on the best ways to treat it. I mean, to make people more Correct. comfortable or right. to, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a medication, quite honestly, right. uh, that is, is going to be the answer. But it's going to be a, a combination of different kinds of therapies that could include psychotherapy, could include physical therapy, could include music therapy, art therapy, something to begin to give these people a better quality of life because I don't hear anybody saying, oh, just wait it out and in a year from now, you know, it'll be all gone. It may or may not be all gone. Yeah, it would be really nice if it is. Uh, There's nothing to say that it necessarily is going to be a long-lasting situation, although if you're a patient that had COVID and six months later you're still not feeling well, as far as you're concerned, it's a long-lasting situation. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice to see that situation dissipate as we hope, hopefully, the virus dissipates. Do you have hope that, I mean, since it is a mutant kind of a situation where it's constantly changing, that we'll have enough of a handle? on this particular virus that even though it's very intelligent, mm-hmm. even though it's very conniving, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we'll be able to stay ahead of it. I have no idea because I have no solid information to make an intelligent response to that. Oh. I don't really know and I don't think anybody knows. So we're just doing There's the a best, lot of things you can presume. Can. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the real science, the things that matter, you ask me a good question, I don't give you a good answer. The people that are actually doing science that supposedly have things right in front of them mm-hmm. don't know where it's leading. Right, right. Don't know so, where it's going to be. I, I have really gotten the feeling over the past couple months in particular that, you know, this is a pretty good Band-Aid. Mm-hmm, but that's mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. And the people need to look at it in that light. Mm-hmm. So they're not home free. You know, it's so, so important to look at how are you sleeping? What is your diet, you know, all about? If you're going back to the old way of doing things, the results are not going to be what you want because you're leaving yourself open to more susceptibility. But if people are making the decision to get healthier emotionally, you know, because stress does a number on everybody. Hmm. So emotionally, physically, mentally, finding a purpose in life, something that makes you want to get out of bed, you know, something that will drive you forward, even with COVID-19, maybe becoming COVID-20 or COVID-21 or, you know, whatever it's going to be down the road. We have to take responsibility 
for our own health and then do what science maybe suggests on top of that. But if you're just you know, waiting for the vaccine and you're not gonna change any other part of your life, that's not the answer. You're right, you're absolutely right. We're gonna to have to see what, what transpires with that. Hmm. I'm also wondering how this is gonna impact you know, like the next generation, let's say. I mean, they know that most of the kids in schools right now that have been homeschooled in particular are almost a year behind of where they would have been. We have to change our thinking, and we, we, we have to stop thinking it's behind. Mm -hmm. This is this is reality. This, this is what is life reality. is. This yeah. isn't behind. This yeah. is today. This is the way it is. Right. And uh, I'm not qualified to make those social comments, uh -huh. but uh -huh. that's my first thought when you say that. Yeah. We have to, and so much of it is attitude. Right? You, you yeah. talk about nutrition, you talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. You have to start thinking. I think we have to start thinking that we're not behind. Right. This is where we are. Right. This, this is if school takes a whole generation a year longer, or two mm -hmm. years longer, two then years that's longer. what happened. Right, right, because that is yeah. the reality. You can't be, you, there's no more behind. This is mm -hmm. it, this mm -hmm. is where we are. Mm -hmm. But to change that kind of thinking, Oh my goodness. Well, having it forced down our throats is probably the best way to uh, yeah. persuade us to look at things differently. Right. Uh, and that could be. Yeah. yeah. Except we've got a goodly number of individuals that are maybe not going to be really inclined well, to go yeah, down that we've, road. We've got a lot of variation of thought in our yeah. society, yeah. to we, say the we, least, we, certainly. We yeah. All right. Well, I know this is your day for your vaccine. We talked about That's that right. ahead of time. So yeah. you're heading out to get yours. Um, let people know how they can get in touch with you, Arthur. So somebody who maybe wants to actually talk about long haulers, somebody who wants to talk about reducing the number of medications they're on and streamlining that and looking at other ways to, you know, maybe get a little healthier. How can they reach you? I'd be happy to talk to anybody. I try to make it the simplest way possible, telephone or email. The phone number is 802-345-8804. My email is my name, ArthurWernick at gmail.com. One word, A-R-T-H-U-R-W-E-R-N-I-C-K at gmail.com. I'm happy to talk to anyone. And he's a wealth of information out there. So, you know, utilize him to help maybe bring your own anxiety level down or maybe understand, you know, the science um, of medication a little bit better in ways that you can live a very healthy and happy life you know as we move into 2021 um, and beyond uh, certainly we're just at the beginning of 2021 with it being in march early march so i hope everybody goes out there and makes this your very best life thank you again arthur for thank being you on the so show. much for having me and it's a pleasure to be before your listeners okay thanks so much um, join us again and uh, go out there and make it a super, super day. Thanks so very much for listening. Bye-bye. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one -on -one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give 
give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.